0: Hi everybody, and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. So, okay, here's a question for you. Have you ever been in a situation where you kind of, you're trying to, Look good. You're trying to impress. You're trying to, um, you know, be respected in a particular in a particular area, and you're slightly out of your comfort zone. And maybe it's not all quite gone to plan. I don't know. Maybe like some first date kind of territory, or um, for me, this is maybe a smaller one. But I don't know whether it's just me or whether this is a guy thing. Parallel parking. You know when you you know when you're like driving around, you're looking for a space and. There is a space. I can fit in that space. I fit in that space. I've now got an estate car, so I have to take a double, double look. I can fit in that space. And then you're committed. (laughs) So you put yourself on a little bit of a pedestal by committing to the parallel part. Because to commit to the parallel part, you've got to go past the car you're about to reverse. You've got to go past, put your indicators on, then the reverse lights come on. You're serious. You're serious. So if any other cars are around, it's a pressure business. Um, There's nothing worse than committing to a parallel park, and then it not quite, oh, I've hit the curb, oh, I've come in too sharp, I've not come in tight enough, oh, (laughs) having to do it again, nobody likes a second attempt in a parallel park, you want to go in one try, nailed it, nailed it, you all know what I'm talking about here, so, okay. So we're on, we're, on the same, we're on the same board. I've got another example, which is a little bit more personal to myself. I'm hoping that no one's been in this situation <laughs> before. Um, when I uh, was 18, I finished school, and I did a gap year before going to university. Um, if you know me, you'll know that's a big part of my, my history, my testimony. Um, I went to India, but actually one of the most important parts about that gap year was after I went to India, I came back, and I spent two months traveling around the U.K., speaking in churches and schools and all sorts of groups all over the country, just telling people about, especially young people, about what they could do if they wanted to go out and serve God somewhere outside of their, outside of their city, outside of their country. Uh, and just encouraging people to think about that. And when you're young and you're in one of these kind of uh, short-term mission groups, they will throw anything at you. Genuinely, they'll throw anything at you. So I did, like, old ladies coffee mornings. I, did, I taught at an all-girls school uh, for the day. I, I've done um, rainbows or girl guides, uh, all in this little two-month gap. But um, one of the things that we'd have to do a lot, we'd have to sing quite a lot. That was a, that was a common one. And me playing the guitar uh, and, and singing, we, we'd often, I'd often be asked to kind of Sh- share a song. Share a song. It's more spiritual if you share it rather than just sing at people. So I had to share a song. Now, I don't know anybody in the congregation. And they're looking at me like I, I'm some sort of, I'm, I'm a missionary, I'm a missionary. I've been on mission, therefore I'm a missionary, and I'm something. I'm like, okay, I've got to carry this. Import. I'm respectable. I'm respectable. I'm standing in front of this. I'm in front of the church with my guitar plugged in, and I start playing the intro, and I'm thinking to myself, "Crap, I can't remember the first line of this song." <laughs> and you're this like second stretch into hours, and you're just you just see everything just go into slow motion, and I couldn't, for the life of me, remember the first line of the song, all that I could remember was, my trousers were falling down, <laughs> and I wasn't wearing a belt, and, and earlier that day, this puts you in the right kind of time frame, early in that day, it was during the World Cup, it must have been, it was about 10 years ago, so yeah, whenever that was, 2006, I guess, was the World Cup in 2006, yeah. Brian, you know that kind of stuff, James, you know that kind of stuff, just nod yeah. at me, yeah? Yeah? World Cup in Europe? Is that what you mean? Europe. No, it was definitely World Cup, definitely World Cup, I think. Maybe it wasn't, I don't know. Anyway, Sweden were playing England, and Sweden had almost scored a goal or had scored a goal. I don't know, it's football, I don't really care. And so I had, I was with a whole bunch of English people in England, by the way, and I jumped out of my seat as Sweden had scored or almost scored, whatever it happened let's say they scored a goal, it's more exciting they'd scored a goal, it was the best goal you'd ever seen and they'd scored a goal I jumped out of my seat and in doing so popped the uh, button on my trousers and I, you know, I didn't think anything of it until I'm sitting strumming my guitar thinking, my trousers are falling down <laughs> I can't remember the first line of this song and my trousers are falling down <laughs> So I had to take a wide stance. So you take take a kind of like take a power stance. You know, I don't. I didn't have the hair for it like I do now. I could have, you know, really, really made a big deal of it now. But uh, I, I muscled through. And you know what? I kept. I committed to the intro. I committed to the first word of the song. I opened my mouth and I can't remember what the song was, but I started singing and the right words came out and I was saved. Um. Yeah. But trying to look like the respectable spiritual, missionary, was all going a bit uh, skew if for me in that moment. And I think a lot of times, you know, we can be so conscious of what other people think about us. We can so be we so aware, so focused on how much respect am I getting? How how much are how much am I am I valued in this particular situation? And you know, sometimes we can get bruised and our egos can take a bit of a knock. And, and sometimes that's a good thing. Uh, and that kind of all feeds into tonight what, what I want to talk about. And, it, and it's the topic of honour. Topic of honour. And you might say, well, how does that relate to your trousers falling down in front of a whole, be- whole group of people you didn't know? Um, well, because honour and respect and, and value, they're all, they're all very clinic, closely linked. And that idea of, of um, yeah, that idea of respect... And trying to be respectable in a certain situation uh, is, is, my, is my tedious segue into talking about honour. Now, I don't know, uh, I want you just to think for a second. This is a little personal exercise, homework, but nobody has to bring in. I'm not going to mark it. I want you to think about who, who do you honour? Who do you, as you yourself, as an individual, who do you honour? Who do you hold in high regard? Who do you show respect for? Is that something that you think about? Is it something that you struggle with? Um, have a think about that, just for two seconds. Who is it? That, who do you honour? Um, maybe it's a musician or a, a sports star, or or maybe it's uh, someone who's done a lot of good deeds. I think honour is is a difficult one to talk about in in our society. It's almost not a dirty word, but it's like I don't really like talking about honour. Uh, I'm speaking in kind of British culture, I think. I think particularly in this cult- in this country, we're not very good at showing respect to people. I don't think we're very good at honouring people. I actually think it's something that we're chronically bad at. And um, and I think you can see that around. You know, just turn on the TV. I love, I, lo- I don't know, this is like a new phenomenon. My daughter, when she grows up, she won't know what terrestrial TV is, and I'm so happy about that. She'll only, she'll only watch the TV that she wants to watch, and maybe that's a bad thing, but... If you just turn on the TV, how many of our shows on on TV are built around this model of elevating complete idiots to (laughs) celebrity stardom status? And then once they reach that position, just knock them down again, just like chuck stones until they're back in their place. There's this kind of horrible, kind of like quite mean spirited um, lift them up and then knock them down, lift them up and then knock them down. And you know, you might say it's the circle of life. But um, but that's not you know that's not that's not honouring and that's not that's not a really nice kind of uh, a nice kind of culture of honour. So honour, as a dictionary definition, is is described as highly respected or highly regarded or showing or giving high regard. So it, it's tied to that word respect, but it's not they're not synonymous. You can respect someone without necessarily honouring them. Honour is, is, is great respect almost. It's like respect and then some. Um, I think, you know, if you look around, you read the newspapers or if you watch the TV, you see the sort of people that we as a, as a society lift up and, and honour, we, we show respect to. And it's, it's, it's often centred around what people have achieved. It's all about what you've done. So if you are the highest goal scorer for your team, if you can hoof a ball into a net at 100 miles an hour, then you will see honour for that. Or maybe if you, uh, I don't know, maybe you've built a business. You know, you're your Richard Branson. I bet he gets a lot of honour, a lot of respect, a lot of regard. Um, you know, you see people honouring their favourite musicians. Actually, in doing a bit of research for this, I um, just googled honour to see what came up and a whole bunch of rubbish came up, and there was something that came up on, it was like a website, I don't remember what it was, but it's a website around describing values, like kind of Wikipedia, but so anyone could log in and just give an example as a kind of like an example of a value. And so Honor came up as a value, and there was a whole heap of examples about Honor that people had just posted themselves. And someone had posted a picture of Justin Bieber. <laughs> and they were talking about Justin Bieber because he's such a nice guy, and I just feel like, genuinely, this is what I said, I just feel like he understands me, and I feel like if we were to have a conversation, he would really listen. <laughs> Needless to say, I closed that tab uh, and re-Googled something a little bit more appropriate or a little bit more specific. But yeah, we honour, our society honours based on some sort of achievement, some sort of status, what have you got, what have you uh, got to give? And I feel like, uh, as Christians, that's really only half the picture, and really differs quite a lot from from the the biblical description of honour. It's good to recognise people for what they've achieved, don't get me wrong, You know, if, if Richard Branson was standing in the room today, I would be, I want to be the first person to go up and shake his hand and say congratulations on all that you've achieved, because he's built something amazing. You know, I um, said Richard Branson, not Justin Bieber, making sure I make that clear for the recording. But, you know, I'm not talking about not honoring these people. I'm just talking about how does the Bible differ? Because our society has quite a pessimistic kind of opinion towards this kind of stuff. Well, what does the Bible say about honour? So, um, honour comes up loads in the Bible, and, and in lots of different circumstances, lots of different scenarios, you'll, you'll maybe have, have heard uh, the commandment in one of the Ten Commandments to so honour your father and mother. Um, if you're badly behaved, maybe you had that spoken to you a number of times when you were a child. Your uh, parents reminding you that you want to honor your father and mother. And the Bible calls out other areas that we're to honor as well. Um, honor those in authority. The Bible calls out our uh, honor for our leaders. So be they our uh, boss or church leaders um, or our uh, leaders in government. In fact, church leaders are, are, are. We are required to give a double honor to because of the position that they have and, and the level of pressure and the level of burden that they carry in the world. There's a there's a double honor that's uh, that's that's requested in the Bible. The Bible also talks about how we receive honor and. Um, what it means to to kind of to, to receive honor. Jesus was incredibly critical of the Pharisees of the time, the religious leaders of the law, primarily because they sought to get as much attention from the people as they could. They wanted to elevate their status. They wanted to lift themselves up. They wanted to be honored. They wanted to be regarded. They wanted to be respected. And they were trying to gather that. They were trying to kind of just to um, force that almost, or lord it lord over people, and then you compare that to uh, you compare that to Jesus and his response as he walked on Earth. Uh, it talks about um, uh, I think it's in maybe it's first, is it First Corinthians, or it talks about how Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be something to be um, shout it out, something to be grasped. Yeah, there we go. Uh, but but lay, lay it all down. To be a servant. So Jesus gives us much better picture of, of, of honor. Not about how much can I get, but actually I'm going to lay that down. Because I don't, I, don't need, I don't need that status in order to know who I am. So I said that you know our society often, I I, I feel anyway, that our society is honor, honors people around what they've achieved, honors people around what they've got. Um but the Bible teaches that honor is not about respecting someone based on what they've done, but it's about respecting someone based on who we are. It's a really different, it flips it, flips it around all It's not so much about what you've done that I honor you, but I honor you based on who I am. You see how that's a completely different, it's not about what you've achieved, but it's about who I am and who I'm called to be and who I know you're called to be. So I'm going to honor you in that. The Bible kind of flips it on its head and gives us this amazing, amazing call to honor people based on who we are called to be as Christians. So I want to give, a really, uh, I want to give an amazing example of this. Uh, one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament that really, I, I feel, really demonstrates this godly, uh, godly idea of honor, this godly um, picture, if you like. And it's a story of David, King David and Mephibosheth. Um, which is a fun word to say when you don't have any water in your glass uh, I feel like if Mephibosheth was in Scotland today he'd be called like Boshe or something like that <laughs> hey you Boshe <laughs> or uh, Mephi or something like that I don't know but I think Boshe. boshe has got a good kind of ring to it so just as a bit of context Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan Jonathan is the son of Saul Saul was king and Saul was trying to kill David um, he'd spent a long time trying to kill David, and um, David has been on the run from Saul. And you, we pick this up in uh, this is this is all through First Samuel, and then in Second Samuel, um, David finds out that Saul and Jonathan have died; they've they've died in battle fighting the Philistines. Um, and so David, kind of by proxy, is given this. He's he's suddenly king over a united Israel, and. He then spends the next chunk of time just clearing out Enemies from the land. You can read it in Second Samuel chapter eight. It's called the Victories of David, which is a fantastic title for a chapter in the Bible. If I had a if I had a chapter in the Bible for myself and it was called the Victories of Neil, I would feel like I would feel pretty good. Like the Victories of David, and it just goes on and it's like it's pretty short. It's just like one liner. Oh yeah, David defeated like fourteen or twenty thousand Edomites or something like that. It's like all oh, right, next sentence, David defeated. So and I'm like, wow. I mean, they don't they're not messing around. They're not fluffing it out at all. He's really just there. He's he's just demolishing through people and God gives him victory after victory. And then we pick it up. So let's if we've got a Bible, turn to Second Samuel chapter nine, and we'll pick up the story here. So David's done with his battles, he's done with his war, he's done with his campaign for now, and he suddenly his mind goes back to Saul and Jonathan. David asks one of Saul's servants, If there's anyone left in Saul's house, is there anyone still alive? And uh, Saul's servant, Ziba, says that there's still a son of Jonathan alive who's a cripple, lame in both feet. And he's living in a place called Lodabar. Um, uh, If you could hold off just now, Jane, I'll I'll jump back in at verse five in a second. Now, Mephibosheth, as I say, son of Jonathan, he didn't have that much going for him. He was a cripple, he was unable to walk. His feet had been damaged as uh, his... Um, nurse had tried to escape the ca- uh, escape the, uh, the the home when she found out that Mephibosheth's father had been killed because she was worried that, that someone was going to try and come and kill Mephibosheth and she accidentally drops him and cripples both his feet so he can't walk and he's stuck in a place called Lodabar which just sounds like a regular old uh, Hebrew name I guess but there's so much significance in the biblical names of things. So, so I, I looked up what Lodabar means. And Lodabar literally means without pasture. It was, a, it was a place for strays. It was a place for outcasts. It was a place for the people who literally they didn't have any land of themselves. They were without pasture. So Mephibosheth is in he's, a, he's at the end of the road in a, in a way. He's not got much going for him. And he hears that the new king, who his granddad spent years trying to kill, has now got into power and has asked for him to come and see him. I, uh, I wonder what he would have uh, thought about that call. If it was me, I probably would have gone along the lines of, I am crippled, I can't walk. Do you know how hard it's going to be for me to get to Jerusalem? If you're going to kill me, why not just have one of your soldiers kill me here and now? Like, if you're trying to wipe out the bloodline, I'm the last one left alive. Don't bother dragging me all the way to the castle to kill me. Just deal with me here and now. What a a trek. So so Mephibosheth sets off and he gets to Jerusalem expecting the worst, I feel. And um, he discovers that David's purpose is not to wipe him out. It's not to destroy the bloodline of Saul. It's not to get revenge. And it's not even to, uh, to, to ask for any vengeance back for, uh, for what Saul had done to David. If we pick it up at, at verse 5, and um, we'll read through to verse 13. It says, um, So King David had, brought him, had, had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Macher son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth at your service he replied don't be afraid David said to him for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will always eat at my table Mephibosheth bowed down and said what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him, to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. And now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and then all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Just want to remind you of that at the end there, he was lame in both feet. It's, um, it's such an amazing story where you see this, you see this, what you expect to happen, and I'm sure what Mephibosheth expected to happen, shift. When we see how David responds in kingdom honor, you see David has a David's. Um, he understood God. He understood what God was asking him of him, and he understood God's style of honor. This is the same David who had opportunities to kill Saul, but didn't take those opportunities because he knew. That Saul was the anointed one. Saul was the king. Saul was the one who'd been put in a place of honor. Who am I? Who, David, you've been told that you're going to be king. What do you mean, who are you? You're going to be king. Yeah, but who am I to actually be the one to kill who the Lord? You know, David had a really great understanding of honor and what it meant to to honor David didn't honour Mephibosheth for his achievements, didn't honour Mephibosheth for his status, didn't honour Mephibosheth for his wealth, he didn't honour Mephibosheth for anything that Mephibosheth had achieved. David honoured Mephibosheth because of who David was, which is so beautiful. It's such an amazing picture of what, of what, God, of what God does as a God who always honours. As king, David was in a position to receive honour. And in fact, you see that in verse, where is it? Verse six. When Mephibosheth got to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David was king, and he was in a position to receive honor. But out of his relationship to to Jonathan, and out of his love, his heart was to show honor to Mephibosheth. His heart was to to lift him up and restore Mephibosheth, which is amazing. I think. When it comes to honour, I am really good at honouring myself. (laughs) I think I honour myself better than anyone else that I know. (laughs) I'm yet to meet someone, actually that's not true, you know what? Robin is an amazing, she's not even here, I don't even need to say, Robin is the most amazing wife, and she honors me better than I honor myself, actually, so I take that back. But I think we're really good at honoring ourselves, we're really great at lifting ourselves up, but we're not necessarily that great at lifting others up. When we start to realize who God has called us to be, when we start to realize the power and the empowerment that God has given us, we, we no longer... We no longer have this restriction like, who am I? Who am I to, to, to honor you? And actually we realize, no, I've been, I've been given a great call here. I've been given a great responsibility. I've been given a great opportunity to honor because that's who God has called me to be. We, we start to feel empowered, and I absolutely believe that as a church, that is what we are doing here in the city, that we are empowered to, to honour others, to raise them out of the situations that, that people find themselves in. To call them out of their low debar bar yeah. places where they are sit, sitting without pasture, without, without destiny, without, without a, you know, a ship without a rudder. When they're lost at sea, we get to call out of them honour. You know, when we start to, to turn our hearts on to the kingdom honor, when we start to turn our hearts on to how God honors and how God calls us to honor, we start to realize that we are not Mephibosheth in that story, but we're actually David. Well, we're both. We have been Mephibosheth, and God in his grace has called us, has called us out of that position. It made us, as David did to Mephibosheth, to sit at the king's table like a son of the king himself and then empowered us to do the same thing to Mephibosheth out there. It's our job to honor. It's our job to honor. We honor God first and foremost. But unlike the Pharisees, God is not grippy with his honor. God isn't trying to to squeeze honour out of something that isn't there. We honour God because he deserves all the honour. Yeah. He deserves all and more than we could ever give him. God is worthy of the honour. And if you look through the Psalms, you see David time and time again talking about how, how worthy God is and how he needs to just pour out honour and exaltation before God because of how great yeah. our God is. Yeah. There's this amazing, uh, amazing... Uh, Verse in in Revelations chapter 4, verse 11. It says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. You know, God doesn't demand anything which isn't due of him. He is so, so worthy of honor. So, does that contradict anything then? That we're told to honor God and also honor people? How does that work? Can we honor both at the same time? Which is an interesting idea. You know, when we're told to honor people, it never comes at the expense or the detraction from the honor we have for God. It's all an umbrella under our honor for God. God is at the top, sovereign, in control. He's got all the honor. And it's because of who he's called us to be that that we raise other people up and honour them. So I want to give you an example. Take a £10 note. I don't have one with me as an example, but I'm sure you know what I mean. You know, I can take a tenner out of my wallet and give it to you, and you can give it to someone else. You can give it to someone else. It could get passed around from person to person. It could go through every single person in this church. But at the end of the day, it's got the queen's face on it. If I was to take that £10 note and go into a shop, that that, that note isn't actually worth anything. It, it's, it's paper. But what it is, is a promise. It's a promise to the person who I give that £10 to that the queen, that's why her face is on it, is going to back up the the amount that I'm asking for, the value of the goods that I'm exchanging with you. If I was to take that £10 and draw my own face on it, <laughs> and take it to the same shop and try and get £10 worth of value, I'm probably going to receive maybe £9.50 worth of value. <laughs> no, I'm, I'd be lucky if I get 50p's worth of value. That, that tenor is not worth anything with my face on it, because I don't have the authority. I'm not the one that's promising anything. It's the, it's the, it's the queen's face, and it's the queen's money, and it's her authority that makes it legal tender. <laughs> and gives it the value that it has and it's the same with honor in the kingdom of god i can i can give honor to someone but it's all belongs to god Do you know what i mean like it doesn't detract like giving someone a tenor it's still it's still the queen's if you get what i mean it's still the queen's promise to pay something and i can honor someone i can lift them up i can i can call them out of their load of bar i can call them into their inheritance. I can take them out of that Mephibosheth place and put them into a place where they sit at the king's table. And I can do that because it's all honor to God at the end of the day. I honor my parents. I honor my boss' work. I honor my pastors here at church. At the end of the day, that's all, it, it's all honor that is God's. And it's all honor that, that goes to him as well. Now, honor is a heart issue. And I just want to kind of finish up with that, about how do we honor? You know, so much we, we don't, I don't know if we necessarily think about it. And that's why I think it's a kind of an odd word to use in, in society today. What does honor even mean? How do we honor? I want to tell you that, that everything we do here in church is out, or it should be anyway, is out of a place of honor. You know, we stand when the musicians get up and they play and, and, and we turn our hearts to God and we declare his greatness. We do that out of honor. We do that because he deserves yeah. all the respect, the regard, the, 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 the glory that is due his name. When we spend time together, it should be in a place of honor. And honor is a heart issue. You know, when we, when we, give, we give into the ties and offerings basket, it's out of a place of honor. When we speak over one another, it should be out of a place of honor. Now, I, I know, I know from experience that it's possible to show up at church but still not honor God in that. I know that it's possible to give in to the tithes and offerings basket and still not honor God in that because it's a heart issue. David shows us this amazing picture of what honor from the heart looks like. He lifts up Mephibosheth not because of what he's achieved but because of who God has called David to be. John chapter 12, verse 26 says, anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. So we get this amazing picture of how God asks us to honor and what honor looks like. It's a heart issue and it is, uh, it is something that we are empowered to do. It's all going back to God. And, you know, I love this series I love getting a chance to talk about these characteristics of God and actually putting always at the front of them, I think is a real challenge because I don't think we know what the word always means. You know, we use the word always a lot, but often in such fickle circumstances. I always take the bins out. (laughs) Thanks, Anna or when you're a kid, have you ever had that moment when you're a kid where you're like, we always have this for dinner, and it's normally a meal you've had twice in the past month, and you've decided, we always have this. You know, and when we say always, it has a fickleness to it. It has our humanness wrapped around it. It comes with bad memory. It comes with our changeable tendencies but when God says always, it means always it means beyond time it means beyond your circumstances it means beyond your action or inaction always so when God says always honour when when we talk about that as a character of God it means I'm going to call you out of that place you're in Regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you did yesterday, I'm going to do that regardless of what you did the day before. I'm going to do that because that's who I am. I'm going to, I'm going to lift you up. Our God is always calling us into something greater. He calls us out of our bar, out of our wasteland, out of our outcast town and into his kingdom, into Jerusalem, into the king's house, at the king's table he sits us with him and asks us to eat not just as a one-off guest day to day to day come back tomorrow Mephibosheth you will always eat with me always God has lifted us up always, this isn't just a, if you're lucky you'll stay up When God calls us up, He lifts us up. When God honors us, He lifts us. It's such an amazing, amazing picture. I want to lift lift up tonight anyone in this place who feels like they don't have any honor to give. I absolutely believe that that is not true. Because God has spoken that over you. He has empowered you. He has lifted you up. He has given you a mandate, a calling, a destiny to do the same thing to other people. That's what we do here as a church. That's why our vision statement is that we are born for more. Because whatever you are born with, I'm going to call more out of you. I'm going to honour you and lift you up. It doesn't matter if you're in low bar. It doesn't matter if you're crippled in both feet. I'm going to raise you up and have you sit with me at the king's table. Thanks for listening.